You've heard of BetaShares. You've probably seen the logo on our podcast. You might even be among their 1 million investors. So you can imagine that I'm delighted to say BetaShares is the official ETF partner of the Australian Finance Podcast. With nearly 100 exchange-traded funds, you can go to betashares.com.au and immerse yourself in ETFs and unique insights covering all of the sectors, themes, core and satellite positions you could want. Think cybersecurity through the Hack ETF, robotics and AI with the RBTZ ETF, and uranium with the URNM ETF. The list goes on. To explore the BetaShares ETF range, visit betashares.com.au, read the relevant PDS and TMD on the website, and consider if the fund is right for you. BetaShares Capital Limited is the issuer. Is there a Spotify wrapped for investing? If you want to invest in shares or ETFs, our friends at Perla are more than one step ahead of the curve. On average, people who use Perla invest $1,750 every month. That's what we want to see, proper dollar cost averaging. With automated investing tools making your life simple, Perla investors have well and truly mastered the art of investing small bits lots of times. So if you're ready to start growing your net worth in 2024, follow the link in your Spotify or Apple podcast player right now to discover how you can get started today. Welcome to the Australian Finance Podcast. I'm Kate Campbell. And I'm Owen Rusk. And we're here to give you the tools and knowledge to invest both your time and money better. If you're new, feel free to jump in with our Starter Pack series that aired in early 2022 or our Shares or ETF mini series. We've got plenty to share with you in today's episode, but if you want to catch us on socials, head to Rusk Australia on Insta and Twitter. I'm also found at Kate Campbell AUS on Insta. And I'm Owen Rusk AU on Insta. Just beware of the fake accounts. Just beware of the fake accounts. We'll never DM you about trading strategies or crypto. And if it sounds a bit weird, it's probably not us. And just one final heads up before we get into the show. This podcast contains general financial information only. Welcome to today's episode of the Australian Finance Podcast. I'm your host, Kate Campbell, and today I'm here with Fatuma, who's one of the financial advisors at Waddle Partners that work in the same office as us. So we've got to know each other a little bit over the last few months, and she has a really interesting story to tell about her own journey with money, some of the things she's learned over the years, and her own relationship with spending and saving and working towards her own investment goals, but also insights from working with clients and seeing a different perspective and how they they manage their money and come to solutions and work towards their own goals. So Fatuma, mm. thank you so much for joining me on the show today. Thanks for having me, Kate. Now, it's your very first podcast, so I will try not to put you on the spot and hopefully you have a great experience. <laughs> but I want to go back to where your story with money began. Stems from, yeah. Yeah, because you have had a really interesting journey and wherever mm. you want to start, we yeah. can go go from there. Well, let's see how far back we want to go. So a uh, bit of a background, I am uh, a first generation Australian. Um, you know, my parents were both refugees who migrated to Australia back in the late 80s. Um, so as new arrivals, um, they, you know, were working in factories. So, um, you know, for us, money was more of a mechanism for meeting living costs and, you um, you know, making sure we made ends meet. And that was really, that that was the l- initial lesson that I had when it came to, you know, finances and, and budgeting and cash flow and all that. Um, and just even a point of, you know, 
culturally as well, um, my background's Ethiopian um, and my parents are from two different different ethnic groups, um, one of which really focuses on not necessarily um, – you know, maintaining wealth to oneself. It's it's a distribution of wealth. And so the way that I um, was brought up was that whatever's yours is also um, to be shared with others who need it too. So I really had to kind of learn and understand how that applied in the Australian context, I guess, because we have a really different behaviour when it comes to wealth and money where it's about, you know, trying to accumulate and trying to secure our future um, whereas I had a very, very opposite. It was quite um, short-sighted in the way that my parents dealt with our finances given the situation we were in. You know, here, obviously, you want to you want to prepare. I mean, one of the things I do on a daily basis is tell clients you should plan for the future. So I think when I dipped my toes into the financial planning space, that's what kind of shifted um, my – that was my initial education and introduction to – thinking about the future and how we deal with money and how we deal with wealth. Mm. And did yeah. your parents ever talk to you about money? Do you ever remember any of those conversations? Or um, I'd say I think Dolomite taught me about money. I think that was that's kind Classic of where... school banking yeah, program. Right. I think we all got a CBA account at one point that's or another. That's right. And I, to this day, I certainly still have a CBA account. I, um, yeah, so the marketing worked really well. Um, <laughs> but, um, yeah, that was, my, that was my introduction to to how I managed money. My parents, we didn't really talk about it. Um, they're quite private about that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that probably is also a cultural thing. And, I, and, and perhaps, you know, some other families from other um, ethnic groups um, encouraged talking about money, but we didn't really talk about it. It was only as I got older that I started to understand um, the impacts and the implication of not of not saving or, um, you know, watching where your funds were going. Um, and also just even understanding my family's financial position too. It wasn't until, you know, like my late teens. Yeah. Yeah. Did you have a part-time job when you were in high school? <laughs> I did. I did. Um, so I started off working at at Coles. Yep. I was a checkout chick. Um, <laughs> there's not many uh, these days, unfortunately, with technology now. Um, but that was what got me through my later years in high school. And then I did some market research jobs while I was in university. And then thankfully during my um, – I think it was my third year of university, I did a co-op placement at a financial planning firm and um, never left. One of the things you mentioned in our conversation was that feeling when you were growing up that you were always living in survival mode. I think that's how you put it to me. When did you start to shift from going from survival mode Mm. to actually starting to put your own financial future first? I think I would say I kind of started to do that in my late 20s, so quite late in life, well, is it really late in life? No, late 20s is not that late. <laughs> um, but yeah, in my late 20s is when I started to set boundaries, I guess, in some ways for myself. So setting boundaries and accepting, um, you know, there's, you don't have to agree with everything that's a part of your culture. Um, and it's not selfish to secure and, and preserve your financial well being. So um, yeah, so that journey kind of started in that time. And it was probably until perhaps my early 30s where I started to actually feel somewhat financially secure, um, which is quite late for some perhaps. Um, But, yeah, it was for me it was that, yeah, there was a moment where I was talking to somebody and I just said to them, "Um, I'm actually feeling quite comfortable. And that was a very different, 
you know, thing to say teenager for Tuma? I would say it was in some ways through conversations with other people. So, um, you know, one of my best friends, her mum was always very good at kind of, you know, telling me, you know, to save. And she was probably one of the first people that spoke to me and gave me tips about, you know, buying my first home. So, um, you know, I had her and I had, you know, my best mate and she's very diligent with her savings Um, and other friends who are very diligent with their savings and investing and all that. And so I think... Um, having that that those channels of communication, people being open about talking about money, I think then that forced me to kind of shift my mindset and then that also helped me begin that journey too, as well as being entrenched in the industry as well and you pick up little tips along the way and I had some really good role models. We've talked a bit about on the show the importance of having those money conversations mm. and that you don't often know the ripple effects that having these conversations mm. will have on your wider community and I think that shows in your example that just having someone in your life as a as a role model it didn't have to be from your family it could That's have been right. someone outside mm. but just having those conversations with you and going hey maybe you do want to save some money hey maybe you do want to yeah. consider investing. That's right and then also just even kind of explaining to you explain to me that there can be a balance between saving investing and enjoying your life and having a, and enjoying your lifestyle so um earlier on I was very focused on traveling but I did have <laughs> you sounded like you had some good trips in <laughs> I, the past I have yeah yeah as soon as I finished uni I was like I need to go and see the world and do all these things that I didn't really have the luxury of doing um earlier on in my life so um that became a, a focal point for me for the first few years of my career um but you know I you know talking to friends and talking to family friends um being able to have that balance, I think that's really important. I think, you know, you still want to enjoy yourselves, but you shouldn't you shouldn't forego securing your future either. So I think that's been my lesson along the way is that there can be a healthy balance and I've had to learn that through other people um, yeah. and through my work. Yeah, and mm. sometimes it can be a very hard balance to find. It can, it can. Sometimes, you know, you put those savings away and then you're like, but I really need to go on that trip to Bali this this month or I really need to go and relax in Europe or there's that nice little sale you just have to be quite diligent and try to put that money away and actually not touch it. And you mentioned before that your parents grew up in an environment where sharing Mm. was encouraged, sharing of resources, of Mm. wealth, of property. How do you balance how did you balance that or do you have any suggestions for people that might be in a similar environment where it's encouraged or expected that they support Mm. other people in their family and community and Mm. they're trying to balance that with actually putting some money aside for their own future, Mm. maybe saving for their first home or putting money aside into their superannuation? Yeah, I think um, that that is a bit of a mentality shift um, because there is an element of guilt when you don't continue providing that support or you don't, um, there's an element of guilt when you're also the person that that doesn't feel like they want to share everything. And I think it's a, you've got to change that mindset. It's about understanding that, yes, you can help, but you also need to make sure you're helping yourself too. I think, um, I don't know if it was you that said this to me, but it's like, you know, when you're on a plane and they tell you to put the oxygen mask on first <laughs> before you then go and put on somebody else. So I, I think that, that really resonates with me. And I think um, that's the way to go where you've got those competing obligations. Yeah, because you mentioned to me having those conversations about boundaries was mm, quite difficult. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Setting those boundaries for yourself and, and accepting that those boundaries doesn't mean that you're being selfish, but it's um, a way to kind of preserve uh, where you're headed to, but then also making sure that there is some allocation there to family members too. So it's just finding that balance and, and mm. yeah, and being vocal about those boundaries. 
When you first brought in those boundaries, were there any challenges in your family, community relationships? No, thankfully not. Um, Well, you know, with community, there's always community perceptions of people and I don't really feed into that. But um, within my family, they were very supportive. Um, You know, they understood that um, where I could help, I would help. And, you know, also the fact that I wanted to, you know, buy my first home and invest, um, they were very encouraging of that too. So, um, no, we've had a really healthy balance and I think it's actually even prompted um, throughout the years, it's prompted my parents to start having conversations with me about money um, alongside other community members. So it's been really great seeing them kind of come to me and ask me questions around superannuation and investing and um, and that's really kind of hopefully opened up their eyes to um, the way that they kind of balance that community and that investment um, you know, wealth accumulation part of their life too. Something as simple as, you know, superannuation, we all have it. Um, regardless of what industry you work in, it, there's that a large pool of fund being set aside for your retirement. And a lot of people don't understand the purpose of that and what that means and how important it is. So, um, you know, where I can, I want to empower people within my community with that information. And knowledge is power. Knowledge is power, exactly, exactly. What inspired you after high school to go on to become a financial advisor? Because you mentioned being in the industry for a long period of time and yeah. not everyone in year 12 goes, hey, I want to be a financial advisor. <laughs> I wouldn't I wouldn't say it was a natural transition yeah. into financial planning. Um, perhaps it may have been like that for some. Um, I actually initially wanted to be a human rights lawyer. Quite so different. Quite different, very different, I think. But the core thing there was really about helping people. Mm. Um, so I um, – and I, and I did um, have an interest in economics too and I kind of, you know, ended up down that economics and finance path in the end and I really wanted to focus my career on an industry in which I would be able to help people, um, would be able to share information and empower people. So that's kind of how I ended up um, in the financial planning sector. And how do you think this journey of becoming a financial advisor and talking to clients about their financial goals and aspirations on Mm. a daily basis has impacted your own financial journey? Certainly experiences that they've had um, that has resonated with me. And I think that's made the conversations with certain clients easy. Um, You know, the points around you know, some people come to you and they think that it's too late to change their financial position um, or their or their wealth. And that resonated with me because I, like I said earlier on, I thought, you know, in my late 20s is when I started to really, you know, really get into that. And being able to connect with that conversation with the clients has really helped me. Because I know you're quite big on showing that financial advice isn't just a cookie cutter thing. It yeah. is customised to the individual. That's and right. financial advisors don't all look the same either. No, they don't. They don't all look the same. They don't all sound the same either um you know for me I really love connecting with the person really like to understand their interests outside of obviously you talk about their financial position but getting having an opportunity to actually understand the person what they like what they don't like their hobbies and all that um and understanding their personality and then being able to tie that into okay well that makes sense when it comes to your goals and objectives and where you're currently sitting hopefully we can put something together that aligns to those goals and objectives Mm. Yeah. And something else I wanted to discuss was the idea of your own money mindset because mm. I know <laughs> you said to me it took quite a while for you yeah. to start until your late 20s to start to change this. Yeah. How has that sort of journey of growth look like for you over the last mm. few years especially? Um, well, it's helped me kind of create discipline 
Um, like I said, not doing those last minute holidays like I used to do before. Um, <laughs> and I think very something very common is like, you know, creating these um, saving silos. So having separate accounts for separate purposes and really sticking to that. So I've been quite diligent in trying to practice that um, and, and making sure that, um, you know, dabble in some investments. Um, you know, ETFs very popular, some, some actual direct shares that I've, um, you know, thrown some money into as well. Um, so making sure like I keep things quite spread, but then also inaccessible to some extent. <laughs> <laughs> On a so, bit of hands-off money. Yeah. When you know your vices, you try to build something around avoiding those things. So that's been my approach. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And what about if someone's listening that maybe isn't happy about their money story to mm. date, they might've made some mistakes mm. or they might've spent some money or lost some money on things that they're not really proud about. Mm. What advice would you have to those people who are looking to turn their money story around? Well, again, it's never too late to turn it around. So try not to let that cloud your ability to move forward. Um, Automating as much as possible always really helps um, because it's not relying on you to create, um, I suppose, establish those behaviors immediately. It's a great way to kind of get you started. And I find as you start to see your savings build up, it incentivizes you more to, to continue building those savings. So I think as, as a good starting point, it, it would be to automate as much as possible and then um, making sure you've got a bit of a buffer and not being afraid to actually invest as well. Um, you know, whether it is you go out there and buy your first ETF, have dip your toes in it a little bit and then just, you know, then gradually put some more and more into that and, um, yeah, eventually you'll be where you need to be down the track. Yeah, and there's a lot of, as you take each step on your journey, exactly. that positive momentum builds and encourages you along the way. That's right. It's kind of like, um, you know, when people go to the gym, you go one time and then you're like, no, nope, that's it, I'm done. <laughs> Is <laughs> this a recent like, experience? <laughs> which I'm guilty of on, on many occasions. <laughs> but, you know, they say that the more often you go, it almost becomes addictive. You almost mm. have, you, it becomes routine. Yeah. So it's about embedding these routines. Um, and, and the easiest way, I think, is to really try to automate as much as possible as you see things grow. And a good example is my younger sister. <laughs> she's uh, she's 20, turning 21 in October. Um, and so I've really kind of tried to encourage her and impart some wisdom. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, like I, Because we didn't have, like I said, we didn't have these conversations yeah. when I was younger. So I've been trying to impart as much as possible to my younger siblings. I've got um, a brother and another sister as well. And, you know, I love my brother asking me questions about investing and he's, you know, looking to buy his first property and he's in his, um, you know, mid-20s. Uh, so that's really exciting. But, um, yeah, my younger sister who's 20, um, I set up some accounts for her and then encouraged her to automate everything. And there was one point where she's like, oh, my God, I've saved this much. I'm like, exactly. Imagine <laughs> if you just keep going. And then that just cranked up her, her um, desire to save. Yeah. yeah. Having someone really changed her to behavior. sit down mm. and help you through that is yeah. often a really important step. Yeah, yeah, it is. Sometimes you kind of need someone to hold a mirror to you too, um, which can be very confronting, but you just have to get through that first hurdle. Maybe maybe you do need that friend to tell you, hey, you probably should be saving. <laughs> yeah, I think sometimes that can end well and sometimes that can have it can a, go either way. Yeah, yeah it can. If someone's uh, not in the mindset that they're ready to start That's right. saving. And- That's right. Um, I think it's really important, especially for us as advisors, is to make sure we create that safe space for people um, because it can be quite nerve-wracking talking about money, talking about wealth. Um, so for me, it's really important that people feel comfortable having that conversation and there's no, um, you know, there's no shame 
associated with that conversation either. So that's really important. What are some ways that you have helped either your siblings, your friends, your clients yep. start feeling comfortable enough to have those conversations to open up to you, yep. and especially if they are dealing with that feeling of shame? I think really around the constant communication. Mm. So when a client comes in and they've said to me again, you know, everything's all over the place, it's all messy, I, I, you know, like I'm really embarrassed where we're currently at. Um, do we even have enough to retire on? Because I see a lot of retirees. And it's really kind of making them see the positive part of where they're at. Well, you've come and seen me. You know, that's a f- that great first step. It's not too late. We still have, you know, if it's a pre-retiree, you could say, you know, you've got still got another 10 years. That's 10 years for us to start building something. So um, trying to kind of shift that mentality from a negative focus to a more positive and kind of like seeing the glasses being half full. Yeah. So that's kind of the approach I take with clients in those instances. And, and yeah, the regular communication I think helps a lot of them, hand-holding along the whole process um, from when we first catch up to when we start to implement and invest because that can be quite nerve-wracking for a lot of people when you go, you know, here's, here's my savings and I kind of need you to help me and, yeah, lots of hand-holding along the way. Yeah, because there's a huge step between learning and action when it yeah, comes to money. Exactly. We, we can know what to do, what the the ideal strategy is mm. for us, but actually putting that into action is a whole nother whole skill. Other level. Exactly, exactly. So it's it's ensuring that they're informed. Yeah. Um, again, communication and um, also ensuring that they understand they understand what we're doing, um, and and engaging them in the process of that that um, implementation. As someone who's fairly young and you're dealing with a lot of pre-retirees, retirees, yeah. have there been interest, any interesting lessons you've gained from them, whether that's about money or life? I mean, well, firstly, I think for for my older clients, coming in to see me can be quite surprising, <laughs> um, you know, because you've got a 30-something-year-old about to tell, uh, you know, a 50 or 60-year-old, hey, this is how we can help you with your mm. retirement. But that's what I do. That's what I do for a living. Um you know, some of the things that's been great to see from um, those clients and their experiences is, um, you know, I suppose understanding where their initial investments, um, their investment journey began. So yeah. for some of them, maybe they brought property, they bought a property a lot earlier and it's, you know, had the benefit of this fantastic property boom that we're... <laughs> <laughs> like all the memes that go around of someone who brought the property 40 years ago. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So you're like, yeah, that's a good tip. Hopefully that continues on for me. Um, <laughs> so little things like that. Um, and then, you know, obviously, obviously there's people in certain industries and certain careers and you can see how that's kind of resonated in when where their wealth has gone at the end. No, it's interesting because a lot of the people that listen to this podcast Mm. are in the accumulation phase. They're in their 20s, 30s and 40s and they're working on reaching their goals. Maybe Mm. they're saving for their first home, they're Mm. building their investment portfolio. But for you as someone that's looking at someone closer towards retirement retirement, and you Mm. get to see the whole spectrum of their life story and how the different financial decisions they've made along the way have added up to where they are now. A lot of it can also be luck. Yeah. That can play a part along the way um you know there's some some individuals who have these fantastic defined benefits that we don't have anymore <laughs> so even something as simple as that where you're getting this recurring income stream yeah. um in retirement that's that's huge um but you know there's been some clients who've talked to you know i love travel and a lot of them haven't been able to do that until later in life so there's there are a lot of things that they've had to forego to get to where they're at 
now. Yeah. And it's just a question of, is that what you want to do? And it might not be what you want to do. So everyone's everyone's path is very different. Yeah, it's probably a daily reminder to you and just figuring out how to prioritise what mm. you want now versus in the future and when mm-hmm. you put those experiences because you can't have everything at once. So how no. do you spread things throughout your life? Yeah, it's a, it's a balancing act. <laughs> it's a balancing act. Um, at this point in my life, I, I keep talking about my you know, 50 or 60-year-old self, what would 50, what would 60-year-old Fatuma uh, like? You know, what are the, what is, uh, you know, where would she like to be? What is your your minimum needs, right? So, you know, obviously you want housing security. That's really important. So, great, got to get a place. Um, you know, you want a certain amount in superannuation to be able to draw down from. Great, well, let's um, work out what amount I need from age 60 and start, you know, making those additional super contributions, um, and then also you want some other passive income streams. So really trying to think about myself 15, 20 years from now and trying to allow myself to have that time. But that's a good amount of time. So, you know, to all the accumulators out there, you know, you've got that 20 to 30 year time frame. It's still not too late. It's a long time to be able to accumulate wealth um, for your old future self, older future self, I should say. <laughs> <laughs> that's a really different way of setting goals because Mm. you're thinking what do I want at 60 and then working backwards Mm. with your financial goals from there whereas I often think what do I want over the next five to ten years and then Mm. I work forwards I haven't tried the method of working back from yeah 60 yeah well I think for me it's being it's what am I comfortable with attaining yeah because that's enough for me Mm. and then I suppose anything after that is a, a bonus. So I, <laughs> I suppose for, for myself, it's more just not being disappointed with not attaining a certain point. Um, so by working towards like what is it that I want and need and then working backwards, that at least means that I've set myself up for what I've been comfortable to accept. If anyone else listening uses a goal setting process that kind of works backwards from yeah. an older point to where you are now and using that, I'd really like to hear more about that because I haven't thought about goal setting in that way before. Mm. So definitely write in and let me know. And sometimes financial advisors get a bad rap, sometimes for good reasons, (laughs) sometimes not for good reasons. And I know you're really passionate about getting the message out there that there are good advisors that really care about their clients and helping them build wealth and sort out their insurances and set themselves up for success, whatever that looks like for them. Mm -hmm. If someone listening wants to talk to a financial advisor but is worried that they might get ripped off or might not find someone that suits them. Mm. What are some questions that you would ask if you were looking for a financial advisor? That's a good question because you're you're letting you're asking me what people will look for from me. <laughs> <laughs> um look, I like I'm a relationships person. So for me it's you can kind of gauge the the personality of the person that's sitting in front of you. Um, but some of the things that I look out for when talking to other advisors or if I were a client, yeah. um, the questions I would want you to ask me is really um, about, you know, transparency around fees. I think that's an important thing um, because you can get some people who are driven by other motivations. So it's really good to, you know, um, align yourself to a group that is a fee-for-service type financial planning practice. So there's that transparency. Um, Also, if you've got a set of investment value, so if you're someone who wants to invest ethically, um, then that could be a question that you ask your financial planner um, if they provide those type of products. And also, um, 
perhaps those that aren't trying to product flog. <laughs> I think that's really, really important. Um, but yeah, I would say overall is just really have the conversation, see how much they tell you. And if you are, if you're connecting with the advisor, you'll know that because there are some advisors that, you know, can be very um, methodical. They don't really connect with the client. Um, and some people love that and that's great. Um, and then some others prefer to actually create that emotional connection, that relationship connection with their advisor um, because you can be part of some very intimate um, situations, you know, where family members pass away, um, you're assisting with like, um, you know, assisting a widow um, with, you know, superannuation or other investments that they've never had to really manage. So making sure that that person is someone you feel you can connect to and you can open up to. Yeah, it's about people reading, I guess, in some yeah. to some extent because we can, you know, everyone can kind of say the same thing. It's really just about, yeah, how do you feel about the person and, um, yeah, fees and all that. Yeah, because often it can feel quite challenging because someone going to a financial advisor is probably going to know a lot less about their finances mm. than the financial advisor mm. who's done all of the qualifications. And it can sometimes feel like there's a bit of that knowledge gap. gap. And so you don't know if what they're saying is going to be serving yeah. your best interest. Yeah, that's true. Um, and the best way to kind of navigate that is a good advisor is going to explain things to you. And a good advisor will be able to read that you might not understand a particular recommendation. So for me, it's really important when I go into meetings with clients that not only you find lots of situations where, say, there might be a particular spouse who's the the financial decision maker up front. We know that there are lots of decision makers behind the scenes as well um, who pull the strings. Um, <laughs> but it's really important that both those individuals, if it's, if it's a couple, for example, for me, it's really important that they both understand um, rather than the one um, partner understanding what it is that we're proposing. So, um, and a good advisor will be able to read that. They'll be able to tell when someone doesn't understand a particular recommendation um, because clients won't ask questions. They'll, you know, you present and they will just go, yep. And then, you know, like, okay, well, do you understand what we're doing and why we're doing it? I want to make sure that you're aligned to this too. Yeah. I think that's important that you can ask questions Mm. and feel like you're getting an answer that you understand. Exactly. And they're not talking down to you or using a lot of jargon. They're actually getting to your level and helping you understand because all of us want to get better at managing our finances Mm. sure we want to use the expert knowledge but we (laughs) we want to build a little bit of that ourselves that's right that's right and someone who understands what they're talking about can can explain it to any audience really um so that's that's probably a key giveaway too (laughs) if they're using a lot of jargon they're doing it deliberately to confuse you (laughs) yeah now one of the questions i had to finish up today's conversation Mm. was if you could go back in time and teach 18 year old fatuma something about money today like what would you want to tell her what would you want her to know uh, there's a couple of things I'd probably tell my past self, which is travel in moderation, uh, firstly. And I think, again, like it seems like such a simple thing to do, but if, um, but not everyone knows it. But the fact of, you know, siloing each of your savings, um, giving them particular purposes, um, I just didn't really grasp that, I think, back then. Um so, you know, I've had to kind of learn that a lot later and it seems like such a basic thing to understand. Um, so I'd probably tell my 18-year-old self to do that. Um, 
yeah, and probably speaking to more people. I wish I had actually spoken to more people and I, and I wish we were more transparent with those conversations mm-hmm. too um, because, like you said, knowledge is power. Um, you know, information gathering is is power too. So, um, yeah, I wish there were podcasts like this. <laughs> Back when I was 18, that would have helped too. Yeah, yeah amazing. And mm. you're going to be coming on the road with us for some of our yes. Rask Roadshow events later this year. So mm. if you see Fatuma in some of our events, over August, September, October. Mm. Definitely go up and say hi. You can ask her all those juicy finance questions because she is a financial advisor, (laughs) though she can't provide you personal finance advice on the road. Uh, And what's the number one lesson you want to leave listeners with from today's conversation? Oh, okay. Um, What lesson would I like to leave you all with? Um, Again, I think conversations, talking to each other and trying to, um, you know, not being comfortable to to open up about finances and um, to empower and equip other people also. Um, you know, having that privilege of, of family, friends and friends sharing that information to me, it's been to no detriment to them. Um, so if you can empower somebody and, and get them on their financial journey too, um, you know, whether it be listening to this podcast and encouraging a friend to also listen to this podcast, that could be a huge thing for them. Um, yeah, it's probably the lesson I would leave. <laughs> Find ways to lift everyone up around Ex- you. Exactly. Exactly. Wonderful. Well, if listeners want to get in contact with you and Waddle Partners, there is a link in the show notes that they can fill in a form and get in contact. Otherwise, look out for Fatuma on our <laughs> road show. Go say hi. And thank you so much for coming on and joining me for your first ever podcast. I know. Gosh, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. <laughs> you managed to get through it in one piece. I did. I did. Yes. Right. <laughs> Thanks for listening, everyone. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Australian Finance Podcast. We hope you learned something new and were able to take one thing away from this episode. If you're keen to learn more, head on over to Rask Education and take one of our free money and investing courses. You could even become a Rask Core member for less than your Netflix subscription each month. And don't forget to subscribe for new episodes in your inbox every week. Plus, if you enjoyed the show, we'd love you to leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and send any questions our way via the link in the description. And before we go on, did this podcast contain personal financial advice just for me? Absolutely not, Kate. Our podcast actually contains general financial information only. What that means is the information does not take into account your financial needs, goals, objectives, or even your situation. So because of that, it's important that you consider if the information is appropriate to you and your needs before acting on it. If that all sounds a bit confusing or you're still working out what your needs are, it's a great idea to consult a licensed and trusted financial planner. And don't forget to do your own research. Are you thinking about starting your wealth creating journey, but not sure where to put your hard earned dollars? InvestSmart can help. InvestSmart offers a free quiz that makes it easy to find the right InvestSmart ETF portfolio to help you reach your goals. Just visit investsmart.com.au and hit get started. Answer a few simple questions about your goals and how much you want to invest and you'll get a tailored statement of advice with a portfolio recommendation. You can visit investsmart.com.au for a no-obligations free statement of advice. This ad is brought to you by InvestSmart Advice, AFSL 334107. For more than a decade, I've been hunting for the best investors and their methods, strategies, and tools for investing. After years in the industry, countless books, a few degrees, 
and 1,000 podcasts and live shows, I've rolled this accumulated knowledge into something called Rask Invest. If you've ever heard me talk about a core and a satellite, active and passive, true long-term compounding, or you simply want to know exactly how I would invest, now is your chance. Rask Invest is our new investment service, designed for all types of investors who want professional management of their core portfolio at a low cost from a team they trust. Rask Invest helps you automate your wealth creation and passive income. Simply click the link that says Invest with Owen in your podcast player to join one of our live platform walkthroughs or book a call with us. You can also view the Rask Invest PDS and TMD and get invested with me.